0: Hey designers, welcome to Q&A session number three. We are so excited to hear from Melissa, Angela, Christie, and Stevie today. And we'll be talking about how to find inspiration when your well is running dry, how many projects we have on a go at once, and if you need insurance as a business owner. Great stuff in here. Thank you guys as always for sending in your questions. Let's do this. Grab your coffee and dive in. Today's episode is brought to you by the Badass Biz Bundle. If you're ready to start your business or you've just launched, let me help you kickstart things to make major progress in a short time. The Badass Biz Bundle is what I wish I had when I was starting out on my own. The business documents, AKA Biz Docs, I didn't know I needed, and a kick-ass mentor for Biz Talks to answer questions with practical, tactical advice to help me quickly, confidently, and most importantly, profitably, launch on my own get all the details about the badass biz bundle at lesliemyrick.com slash coaching and now this is episode 30 q a session number three ask us anything
1: Hey, I'm Kate Bendewald. And I'm Leslie Myrick. We're interior designers who've been meeting every Friday for coffee to discuss the ins and outs, ups and downs of running our design business and decided to hit the record button. We are Designers Getting Coffee with each other, and
0: now you. While some might choose to guard the hard-earned secrets of their design success, we've chosen to support,
1: encourage, and empower one another to be the most kick-ass business owners possible. Welcome to the Designers Getting Coffee podcast, real talk about running your design business with head and heart. Come join the conversation. Good morning, Leslie. Well, wow, that was a mouthful. Always is.
0: I love my alliterations, and I almost <laughs> tripped over that, but I got through that in one take. So. You
1: did that Happy beautifully. Friday. We are doing She's this. Susie sells some seashells. seashell. Cool. <laughs> How are you? I'm
0: doing doing okay. I'm only. I'm not going to say great. Okay is kind of the real talk <laughs> of being in a little bit of a slump this past week, just work wise and kind of personally, but. I'm excited to be back here recording and you know I've been doing my best to get out of the house and you know work around humans so I'm not by myself and network with other designers so I'm gonna be okay Absolutely. and I'm excited to talk and answer questions how are you
1: doing yeah no I'm 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 good as well I'm I'm well as well you're well as well uh I'm well as well um, I'm good, I um, I hear you. I think this time of year, that's natural, at least for where we live, it's super gray and the weather's just kind of eh. And yeah, yeah so I think it's normal, but um, I'm super excited to be back recording with you today. And we've got some really great questions from some of our, some of our listeners and I'm excited to, to chat about it. And I, you guys forgive me if my voice sounds a little bit froggy. <laughs> That's the other thing going on It's just like all the head stuff is happening. She's got a very sexy voice today for us, everybody. (laughs) Get ready. It's not not quite the sexy kind. Anywho, let's start with, I love this question. Um, I think it's a great question to ask this time of year. This is coming out um, early 2020, beginning of the year. So for a lot of us, we might be just starting on some new projects. We might be having a little bit of... Downtime, uh, which is sometimes common in the new year. And so I think this next question is appropriate for this time of year. So this question comes from Melissa and she asks When your well is running dry, where do you go for creative inspiration? Oh,
0: yeah, this could not be more timely because, like you mentioned, this kind of tends to be a downtime of year. Like if you had projects that were happening in the fall into the winter, they might still be carrying on. For me, honestly, right now, everything I had wrapped up in December. And January historically for me is pretty quiet. I don't usually get a lot of new stuff coming in till February or March. And so in full transparency, I'm feeling kind of dry and just a little little down right now, as it were, with work stuff. So Yeah, I would love to hear, Kate, what you do with this, because I feel like you're someone that is probably quite intentional about it and tries to solve that problem. I don't do that. (laughs) Like, I feel like I I don't have good answers because, you know, I can go look at Pinterest, but that's not, I mean, that that never does it for me. So what about you? Like, is this something that you struggle with too? And how have you... How have you found inspiration, whether it is creatively or professionally or even personally, to kind of keep you going when you're feeling dry?
1: Well, first of all, we appreciate you being really open and honest about that. I think that that happens to all of us, just having our wells run dry, either with work or with our creative well running dry. So we've all been there and and we get it. So, I mean, (laughs) you... You suggested that I do this intentionally. I would like to think that I do, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that that's true, but I definitely know that there are a lot of ways that I look for inspiration. I'll spout off just a few so that I don't forget them, and then I'm gonna come back and we'll kind of talk about each one of them. But travel for me is the obvious one. Um, anytime you can get out of your like daily routine and travel, whether it's to a neighboring city or to a neighboring countryside or a neighboring state, um we recently just took like a two night drive to Louisiana to oh my gosh New Orleans you guys i can't think this morning it's super easy you know so it doesn't have to be this like you don't have to go globe trotting although if you can you should <laughs> but any kind of travel is ideal museums i love to go to art museums without my children <laughs> and just walk around and have some peace and quiet Um, going to restaurants is always a source of inspiration, just really beautifully designed restaurants. I love obviously pillaging through my magazine collection, um, going on home tours. Um, I'm, I'm thinking specifically about design inspiration, but, uh, going to trade shows, your, your high point and your Vegas markets, even going to your local, like if you have a design center, that could be a source of inspiration. So those are just a few off the top of my head, but one thing that I was going to add to that first one about travel. Even if you can't travel, just like taking a different route to drop off your kids at school or to work or to whatever your daily routine of driving is, even just finding a different route, breaking thing, breaking up your normal everyday routine can start to build your creative juices. Um, I recently read the science behind that somewhere, so I, I'm not gonna make something up, but <laughs> some smart person somewhere researched this and said like just literally getting out of your daily routine and breaking up things like your daily drive can start to generate more creative uh, juices flowing, so yeah. Those are my off the top of my head ones. <laughs> Those are awesome. And, you know, as you started
0: talking, I was sort of the, the common theme was all of them involved getting off your butt, getting out of your desk chair and doing something like, you know, magazines are great. And that's certainly one way to do it. But just like you said, taking a different route when you're driving, planning a, you know, quick weekend trip or even an overnight trip, I find for me, even though it's a little thing. I like going to work at a coffee shop. Like I love being home alone. I'm an introvert. I like working in my quiet house, but sometimes, you know, a cup of coffee and a muffin and a couple hours with the buzz of people around and just a change in energy, a change in location can really do wonders for that creative inspiration.
1: Absolutely. I recently, another place, and I don't, unfortunately, I don't live in a city where I have the ability to do this uh, spontaneously, but also going and sitting in a really beautiful hotel lobby Um, is a super fun for me. So when I travel, I always try to book a hotel that has a really great lobby because I enjoy hanging out there. And so that could be another alternative. And usually they have a coffee shop or a cocktail lounge and, you know, you can go for happy hour and grab a glass of wine or whatever, or coffee. If they have a restaurant, obviously you can grab some food too, but they don't care that you're there. You don't have to be staying at the hotel to be hanging out at the... (laughs) Hanging out at the lobby. I was just going to say, I've always been kind of like nervous to just go
0: to a hotel lobby and grab a coffee or something, but I guess that's, that's totally cool.
1: Well, so right before we broke for the holiday, I had, I mean, if you have the time, I think this can be really fun too, is to just go book a night at a cute hotel. You guys, you could stay at a really cute hotel for like 150 bucks a night. That's, that's doable, right? You know, spend some of that time with your magazines or with a book or doing that like those introverted moments if you need it, just being alone and re sort of <laughs> decompressing. But then when you're done with that, like get out and go for a walk, go sightseeing, go walking. This is what we did on that trip. We went and walked the UT campus. We went and stayed in Austin. I forget the name of the hotel, but it was so stinking cute. It was right by the university. They had a little pool. We sat by the pool. We did some brainstorming. This My husband and I did this, some brainstorming activities, um, some quiet time, Um, Hung out in their lobby and had a drink, Um, and then went for a walk. And we went to the UT campus, which was really a fun energy around there in that time of year. We went to the Blanton Art Museum and walked around, um, and went and had a nice dinner. And that was it. And then we came back the next day, and just that, like getting out of the house walking around seeing some new sights getting out of our routine was super refreshing and it didn't cost us a lot of money i mean the museum was free the walk was free dinner was not free we needed to dinner, dinner was not anyway free. <laughs> No, but you're going to have to have supper. Yes, that's true. So yeah, I think getting out of your routine and inspiration is around us everywhere all the time, but we have to be open to it and we have to be receptive to it and and looking for it. And if your workload's a little lighter, this is obviously going to be a bit
0: easier to finagle a half day or a day out of the office. But I would imagine too, you know, your well doesn't have to just be dry when things are slow. I know there's been times where it's been nose to the grindstone and I just feel like I have nothing to give and I'm just kind of cranking stuff out.
1: And so it can oh, be- Oh, that's when I'm the least creative. Yeah. You're
0: absolutely right. And so um, we can still do these things, but I think it takes more intentionality and planning and committing to say no. And Kate, you and I were just talking before we hit record about our words of the year. What is your word of the year, my friend? Cause I love it.
1: <laughs> my word is no. No no, no,
0: yeah, say no to some things, you know, make it happen because you cannot, you cannot just be empty and expecting to have energy to dive into a thriving business. And you cannot be going full tilt and expect to have the energy and creativity to do things well. I
1: really, I'm glad that we're asking this question. Uh, Melissa, who works for me, uh, she and I were talking recently about how we really want to make sure that when we're writing our proposals for projects, that we're giving ourselves ourselves enough time for design because you know I think there's this pressure that you want to create a proposal that is based in reality and what it takes to come up with good design um but you also want to you know get the job and it's a it's a fine line and it's a balance and I think what has happened for us in the past is we have a limited number of hours that we can work with On these projects, to you know, to an extent, and um, I think we find ourselves just rushing and not giving ourselves enough of space, um, white space, white noise to really think about like where super creative moments going to be and finding things that we can really advocate for in the design. So that's another thing too, because my, I I wasn't giving myself enough time and I was feeling rushed and I was feeling just really focused on those numbers. And I think that that was a big creative buzz killer for me this last year. So that's something we're trying to do differently intentionally this year.
0: I love it. Yeah, this is, it's tricky and it makes me want to go book a hotel. I know. Well, the thing with getting out of any sort of dry spell is taking action. And it is so hard sometimes to get over your own inaction and actually choose to put on lipstick and drive to a coffee shop or look at your schedule and put the money down to book a hotel. But this is the stuff that matters because you need to give your brain that blank space to just let things happen. In fact, I was coaching with a new client the other day and she is looking at renaming her company she's just started so nothing's set in stone but she doesn't love the name she chose she found someone else that's using something pretty similar and i was really encouraging her to you know I mean sit down with somebody do some brainstorming but most likely that name is going to just come to her when she's in the shower or driving to work or whatever it might be and if we don't give ourselves some space for creative inspiration It's hard to force it, but we can also kind of kickstart it by changing our scenery and changing up our daily routine. I'm guilty of overscheduling
1: myself, which is why no is my word for 2020. Nope. No. Uh, Before we move on, I'm just looking at the art behind you and thinking of one more really obvious one that I didn't mention. Um, But, you know, sitting down and creating something with your hands and making art of any kind, whether it's a masterpiece on a canvas or it's a masterpiece in the skillet, on a plate, food, cooking, but creating something with your hands and doing something artistic. That's another way to give yourself space to just think because you can't be on your phone when you're doing that. You can't be on your screen. Creativity does not come through your screen, by the
0: way. Preach it. And you know, the art thing can be intimidating because I think as designers, we're sort of expected to be good at anything creative, but even if it's just like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's some really great adult coloring books, and I don't mean like naughty coloring books. I mean like coloring books for grown ups with that are really fun to just like get some I was gonna say pencil crayons, but my husband gives me crap about that because that's a very Canadian way to say it. Colored pencils. Get some colored pencils, Yankees. There's some really great coloring book. I, that sounds silly. Like I have one that I really like, and I bought some fancy markers, and I have fun. I sent my best friend a coloring book for Christmas, and I'm paraphrasing the title, but basically the coloring book was called Mama Needs an Effing Nap, and it was just a coloring book for moms. <laughs> anyway, it was awesome. So put pen to paper. That's get cute. off the
1: screen. Yeah. Making something with your hands. Do yeah. it.
0: Thanks, Melissa. Love that question. Go for a walk.
1: Yeah. Good. All right. No, thank you. And I'm I should I think we both practice need to what I preach. advice. Exactly. <laughs> it's time. It's time. I wanna go to a coffee shop when we're done
0: recording this. I think it's yeah, a good idea. For sure.
1: Okay. Um, why don't you take the next one?
0: Yeah, our next question is from Angela and she says, I'm curious about the number of projects that you have on the go at the same time and their scope. As I'm starting out, it's difficult to know how much work is doable. I realize you have assistance and I'm solo right now, but I could factor that in if you described your ideal workload. And we got a very similar question from Christy who just asks How do you schedule your client projects, meaning how many do you take on at a time? And this is an awesome question because it is so easy to say yes, especially when you are not so busy and you've got leads, and suddenly you find yourself in the design phase of six projects at once and drowning. So this is something. I have so much to say to this. Kate- <laughs> There is, I was going to say, and Kate was actually really helpful to me because when we first started our Biz Buddies Coffee, this is one thing we talked about. And she shared this awesome Gantt chart with me that she had come up with, which I now use in my business. But I want her to talk more about it because I thought it was beautiful and genius and really helps. And Kate, I know you have really strong boundaries with projects around how many you take on of a certain type at a certain time and where things are at in phases. So share your magical wisdom
1: <laughs> magical. Yeah, it's, it's magical. It's a magical Before. spreadsheet. Yeah. No, you know, it, this is a very simple tool that anybody can create, but I, it was I created it specifically because I was struggling with this. I was struggling with taking on too many projects at once because I couldn't say no, and I did have a small team and I just thought, "Oh, we can do it all," but it led to tremendous burnout. And so the result of that is just a simple spreadsheet Um, I have different color coded blocks for the different phases of design. I have onboarding, which is all of the work surrounding like just getting them, writing the proposal, getting their invoices paid, setting up our initial site survey, and then there's concept design and then design development, then implementation, and then post occupancy. And so each one has a special color. They're like lighter to darker blue or whatever, (laughs) so you can sort of see how it's um, progressing. And I have one client per row. And so the rows indicate the clients and the columns indicate each week of the year. And I have a spreadsheet for the entire year. And basically, anytime I get a new client, I put them into the schedule. Now, I schedule all of our design meetings at the outset of a project. So when I'm writing my proposals, I say that you know, if this is signed, sealed, and delivered within five business days, We can do our site survey on this date, we can deliver concept package on this date, and we can deliver a design, uh, and as long as we get comments by, you know, whatever date, then we can uh, do design development meeting, or our big design presentation on this date, or with this week sometime. Depending on the project, it might be too soon to nail down that very specific date, but we at least promise... Uh, within the week, you know, what, what can we do? And so then we put those dates as placeholders in the, in that calendar on the Gantt chart. And so being able to see in a snapshot, okay, Mr. and Ms. Smith's project is going to run from this week to this week. Uh, we're presenting on this date. So then we say we get a new call, we've got a new client coming in and they want to work with us and they ask, when can we start? We can visually see how much do we have, when are we presenting and know like, hey, if we were to start on this right away, it's really going to impact our availability to do a good job on Mr. N- Ms. Smith's project. So for that reason, we will take your retainer to hold your place on our calendar and we will start with you on this date. Um, we actually let our new clients see our Gantt chart, so they it sort of legitimizes why they have to wait. But here's what I tell my client, I think this is so important. We do not do design, now because we're a small firm, we have three people, we do not do design development for more than one client at a time. So what that means is, after concept design, once we get into the, now we're getting into the nitty gritty of specifying and sourcing and drawings and that sort of thing, we're only gonna take on one client at a time. A bigger firm with more people could probably do a couple of projects at a time if, if they uh, have that capacity. But So we can be onboarding new clients during that time, we can be, another project can be in procurement and getting things purchased and coordinated that way. But as far as design goes, We're only working on one client at a time. And so we tell our clients, this may mean that it's gonna take a little bit longer for you to to get us and to work with us, but when your time comes, you have our undivided attention and they love it. (laughs) They're like, okay, it's worth the wait. We get it, that makes sense. Like all of our creative energy is going toward you and you have our focus and I guarantee you the result will be so much better than if we're trying to switch back and forth from multiple projects. Now we don't do more than one, but we may have more more than one project going on at a time, but just during those couple of weeks for design development, we're only working on one project at a time. Um, So create a Gantt chart. Rows are clients, columns are weeks. Color code them by the different design phases. Make sure that you're setting dates, key dates with your clients early and stick to them. That is so important. If you say you're gonna deliver the design presentation on a certain day, come hell or high water, you better do it. And, you know, don't be afraid to show your new clients your workload and say, this is where we are. I can guarantee you a start date of right here. It's totally worth the wait. And yeah, I, that's how we do it. So. So
0: I know you only have one client actively in the design development phase, but how many jobs do you feel like is your maximum at a time before you would say like, hey, you know, it's not just going to be two or three weeks till we start, but we really can't start with you for three months six months whatever like is there sort of a number you're comfortable with where you're like okay we've already got x active projects and we need to start slow like spreading things out more or you know
1: giving them a later start date so we don't die it's very case specific but a couple of the things that i've done that have been helpful one is really spreading out the design so if a client's really eager to start and they want to work with us and we want the project and it's going to be two or three months we can say something like hey we can we can schedule a site survey and a trade day soon, you know, next next month or so. You can get that going. Then like push their concept design out a couple of weeks. Um, but just say after that, it's just going to go and hold till we finish this one project on this date. And we can start design development for you here with a presentation date of whatever. So just really stretching out that design phase and telling them why, you know, just say it doesn't mean I need this whole time to do your project. It just means that my capacity is really full right now. But if that's still, if that's uncomfortable for you or it's unrealistic, then another option, if it's a project you really want, a client you really like, what I've done is a non-refundable retainer that's smaller than my typical retainer, which is a minimum of 20 hours. So it's like $500 and just say, we can't start your project for six months. If you're willing to wait, we will take a $500 non-refundable retainer. It's refundable if I die or I move or I decide I don't want to do the project, but if they decide to move on and do something different, it's non-refundable. So just to be clear there and just say, we can start on your project in six months. You pay a non-refundable retainer today to secure your place on our calendar. You'll pay the remaining deposit on our when we initiate the project in six months. So so that way you're not holding on to a ton of money in your bank account. Um, it gives them a little bit of a commitment to you. Um, I actually had a client <laughs> walk from that $500 just because they decided to push their project out like another year or two. And I was just like, I can't guarantee that I'll be available then. I just don't know. Um, so I can start now and guarantee that to you. Otherwise, if it's two years, like if I'm available, sure, but I can't guarantee that to you because... The retainer was to start in January of this year. So that that's a possibility. Do you have them sign any sort of
0: agreement when they give the retainer? Yeah. Or is it just kind of yeah. like a verbal? There's a, there's a, okay. it's, a, that's it's, a smart. it's a small
1: retainer agreement. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else as far as like staggering your, your clients. You know, I'll still, if I get a, I've had a handful of designer for a day projects happen recently and so I can sprinkle those in there too while I'm doing design development because it's just one day. Having that visual graphic it was a game changer and we print it out uh, it's a living document so we print it out every Monday before design presentation or sorry des- I can't talk today y'all staff meeting. <laughs> and especially when we're busy and we just look at it. Those dates sometimes move around. Not our design presentation dates, but if our site survey date wasn't quite nailed down that could move around or if Purchasing is taking longer than we think. We make adjustments for it. it you know, we put in something like two weeks for purchasing um, and then usually like six weeks for construction and implementation and waiting for all of the stuff to come in. But sometimes it just takes longer, so you just keep moving it out. And <laughs> you're like, oh, how did this project go from a three-month project to a nine-month project? Well, this is
0: what happened. So I mean, there is no hard and fast number, and Kate, like, the your setup up right now, you have a design assistant and an admin person. So that probably helps you.
1: For you Americans, admin is admin, a straighter. Um oh gosh. Are you
0: giving me more Canadian crap today? I love People it. Don't it's say, so cute. What did I say? Admin? Admin. That's not a thing? It is.
1: No, we say it, We say admin. Admin. Weird. <laughs> yeah, I know. Anyway, you guys
0: know what I'm talking about, Kate. I love <laughs> So administrative, basically what I'm saying is, you know, (laughs) Angela acknowledges that she is solo. (laughs) Kate, you're so bougie. Angela is solo. So Angela, for you, I would imagine that your timeline and your maximum capacity is going to look a little bit different than someone like Kate, who can you know, spend some time doing her zone of genius stuff, like be the, the brains behind it. But then she could probably pass off a lot of the design. Hey, I want this kind of sofa and this size and this type of fabric. And I'm thinking around coffee table. Well, that's, you know, she can do that and then pass it off, which means she can probably take on a few more projects versus someone who is doing everything themselves, including like billing, admin, admin. I don't know. <laughs> don't change the way you talk. I'm just saying. Now I don't to remember that the cute. way I say it. So- If you're doing all of it, then you're going to have to be, I think this is an especially valuable document because you'll really start to look at it and go, holy crap, I can't handle this. Like, you know, if I know that I usually can do, I don't know, let's say 20 billable hours a week, because I feel like for principal designers, that's kind of an industry standard I've heard is a good average is about half your time should be billable. If you start crunching numbers from past projects, start to learn how long design phases actually take you, you can look on your calendar and see that you won't be able to take another project without drowning right now for a week, for two weeks, whatever it might be. So I do think the Gantt chart idea is phenomenal and you can find templates online. It's something Kate gave a really good description on how she made hers. I
1: should make one more additional comment. The other thing that I do at the outset of the year is I look at the calendar for the whole year and see are there gonna be any significant chunks of time where I'm gonna be away. So I look at my kid's school calendar and I know that my daycare is closed the entire week of 4th of July. My first graders out of school for the entire week of Thanksgiving. I don't know when that started. I only got three days off when I was a kid, but now it's the whole week. Um, <laughs> spring break, those sort of big moments. If there's any big major travel, those columns, right? Cause clients are in the rows. Weeks are in the columns. They allow me to visually say like, I don't have any capacity that week if there is a school holiday where maybe the school's closed on a friday or a monday and i know i'm going to have to be home with kids or whatever the case may be that at the very top of that column under the week i'll just make a note that just says kids school's closed on friday so that just is a visual reminder that I've got a little bit of limited availability that week, but I'm still working. And
0: remember to block off your own vacation and time Good off word, too. Yes. This is a great thing to do at the beginning of the year. Preach. You know, having having kids in a school calendar, is that's a great thing to work with, but don't forget about you. And if you can plan in advance, you are hella more likely to actually be able to take that spring break or fall vacation or whatever it might be. And this is the time and space to do it. And then when clients come in, you can look at your calendar and say, you don't have to tell them this, but you know, maybe normally your lead time is four weeks to turn around design, but you know, you're going to be gone one of those weeks. You tell them five weeks, you still meet their expectations and they're thrilled and you haven't killed yourself and sacrificed some downtime that's really important to you. So Gantt charts for the win. Everyone's number is going to be different.
1: I have just a quick, this is not, this is not shameless self-promotion, but I think it's something that could be helpful because I was just thinking about this as you were talking because I'm really bad about that. But last week I did my inaugural blog post for Designers Oasis and I actually talk about this Gantt chart and where it lives and how I show it to clients um, there. So in the new client binder, which you can read about on the website designersoasis.com, I have a client binder and I take it to all new projects with me our new consultations. So when we're having that conversation at the end of the consultation about like, this sounds great. I'd love to move forward. You know, what is it going to cost and how long is it going to take? It's a, it's the very front page in that client binder. And I open it up and I say, here's our capacity right now. looks like we could start right about this week. I'll need to, you know, just go back to the team and confirm that. But at first glance, this is, this is when I think like we could start. So having a home for it and knowing how to use it is just as important as creating it.
0: That is so badass. I love it. And that's how you do it. So it's not a magic number. It's about planning and figuring out what your capacity is that really can work for you. And I have to say, the prettier you can make it, the better it's gonna be. And Kate's is super pretty with all her brand colors and fonts. And I know that sounds maybe not that important, but I like a good, pretty spreadsheet too. So don't forget to make it something that you're gonna like working with in colors you like and fonts, because it does help it become an active living document and not something you set up once and then forget about. Absolutely. Cool. I love talking about that. Yeah. Yours was, I mean, yours was so pretty. I was like, you need to send me this immediately. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, all right, we have so time for Angeline, another one. Christy, yeah, Let's oh, do- go ahead. I was just going to say, Angela and Christy, thank you. We so appreciate yes. you guys sending in questions. And Stevie's got our next one. And her question is, what are your thoughts on insurance for a small firm just starting out where you are the only employee? Meaning, do you need insurance?
1: Yes, queen. Yes, resounding yes. yes. I will have to admit that I ran my business in Denver for five years without ever having insurance, and I realized once I did finally buy insurance that... I felt so much more, like I could sleep at night a little bit better. And it was just this like subtle buzz of like anxiety that was always present that I didn't even, I couldn't even put my finger on it. I couldn't even figure out like, why is this here? But you know what, I was playing general contractor there. I was paying all of my subs, I was coordinating them, I was hiring them, I was firing them, I was doing all of that work, including construction, which is legal in Colorado, it's not in every state, unless you have a contractor's license. Uh, but I, I believe the what I was, I wasn't, if there was structural stuff, then there was a contractor and they were pulling permits and all that. Wasn't doing that, but everything else, we were coordinating and paying our trades. I don't do that anymore. Um, with a few exceptions of small things like wallpaper and whatnot, I was managing so much risk, and I did not have insurance to back it up. And when I finally was like, "Why the f do I not have insurance?" <laughs> it just I felt so much more safer and so much more protected. Um, I say it's especially important when you're first starting out because I, hate, as much as I hate this phrase, it's perfect sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And there are just, you're going to have learning moments. You're going to, you're going to learn things the hard way. It's going to cost money. You're going to screw up. It happens to everybody. And it just, it's just a part of the industry. This is a risky industry. And that's, you know, one of the reasons that it's so important. Now, does that mean that insurance is going to cover everything? Even if they tell you it is, it isn't. (laughs) I recently called my insurance company to ask them, about a potential claim that I might need to file. the And I'll, I'll be specific about it. I even think it says on their website, like even if it's not your fault, we'll cover it, if you know, if, as long as you're covered. So it's kind of like getting into an accident in a car and it's somebody else's fault and they drove off, like your insurance will still cover you. But that's not the case with my insurance. According to my broker, he was like, I really don't think they're gonna cover that. But basically, we had a pair of um, leather chairs that we purchased for a client. At some point, it got a very significant scratch in the arm that could not be repaired. Um, That leather is now uh, no longer stocked by the vendor. Um, so it was not possible to have it replaced. And plus there were two of them matching. So we would have had to have like matching two chairs. (laughs) We could replace one of them, but we didn't know if that leather would match the other chair. Then you have two (laughs) chairs. So anyway, the client, you know, had paid eight grand for these, these chairs. They were $4,000 a piece. You you think a client wants to have an $8,000 set of chairs with a scratch in it? Hell no. But we couldn't get the vendor to take responsibility for it. We couldn't get the transportation company to take care of it. Our receiver wasn't going to take responsibility for it. They were all pointing fingers at each other. And so at the end of the day, the buck stops here and I was just like, am I going to have to shell out eight grand for a new pair of chairs and have insured? Like, would this be my first claim? But when I talked to my broker, he was like, you didn't scratch the chair. It was scratched before it even, we even took possession of it. And so, yeah. And so ultimately we ended up finding a very specialized niche market that I didn't know existed, but leather repair company that can actually fingers crossed because it's getting done next week, but like repair the leather as if it had never happened. So I will report back and let you guys know how that goes. But, um, so it's not an end all be all, but it's a damn good idea to have it in place. And it's not that expensive. I think I pay like, I don't even remember, like $40, $70 a month, so under $100. Oh, that's not bad.
0: Mine mine's in like the $90 a month range, I think. But I don't know what you have in place. And guys, I just want to be clear. This is not insurance or legal advice. We are just sharing what we have kind of figured out. What I have in place is just, first of all, general liability insurance, which is more affordable. That's just kind of the, oh, crap. Something happened insurance, but it doesn't it doesn't cover a whole lot like can't give a great example of specifics but another thing that was recommended to me by both my attorney and my insurance agent was errors and omissions insurance I think it has another name that I'm forgetting but that's kind of the technical term of it that is what it sounds like if you make an error or forget or omit something you could still be covered for things so both of those I feel like are quite important there's so much detail in what we do there's a lot of room for error and just kind of being human. And I think both of those are definitely worth looking into. Talk to your attorney, talk to your insurance agent. I'm sure rules and legalities are going to differ from state to state, maybe even county to county. Ask those questions. And yes, insurance is fairly affordable. And if you can't afford insurance, you can't afford to not have it because, yeah, well, the first time I realized I needed it I was doing my very first kitchen remodel project and it was a it was a six figure kitchen like it was a decent project and it hit me one day that I was like if anything goes really wrong and the clients come after me for what come after you know what I mean but like if there's if my butt's on the line I don't have a hundred thousand dollars to fix this like this would be you know and you can get I mean, there's all sorts of mess that can happen. There's a ton of liability in the work we do. You can't afford to not have business insurance, even just with consulting. Like if you're not doing implementation, if you're not acting as GC or working with contractors, even a bad recommendation can come back to you and a cl- something could happen, get insurance, full stop, even if it's just you. Yeah.
1: It just goes without saying it's like the least, it's like the cheapest thing you could do to protect yourself. The other thing is I would say is find a really good attorney very early, somebody that you trust that you can go to and ask questions. I have a lovely woman that I can call on and she is super fast. So to just call and ask her a quick question is does not cost me that much money, but it has been a saving grace for me ever since I've hired her. So make sure that you're doing that too. Make sure also that you are hiring people if you're hiring you know recommending a contractor make sure that you're asking them for proof of insurance they need to be able to show you evidence of that with a certificate in any trades that you have anybody that's going to be doing any kind of labor or work or stepping foot into your client's home you need to have proof of insurance from them as well
0: yeah and i'll be honest i've never been asked by a client if i have insurance so don't use that as kind of a benchmark to decide if you need it. But I always keep my insurance certificates in my consultation bag just in case it ever comes up. I want to be able to show I'm legit and have that proof ready in case the question does ever arise from a client or a contractor or anybody that might be interacting with me in some professional capacity on the job site. And
1: this is, I'm just going to add one more thing to this because I want you guys to be protected. But, you know, back to that, get get legal advice on everything. But I think it's super important because of the risk that we are committing to in, in this industry. The basics of like starting your own business is being a sole proprietor does make you more um, at risk for if something were to go wrong and somebody were to come after you and your business, then your home and your possessions become an asset that you may have to give up. So an LLC is the very least that I would recommend that protects your personal belongings and keeps your business out of your personal business.
0: High level for an LLC, if you're not too familiar, it stands for limited liability company. And it means that when you are a sole proprietor, you are your business. When you are an LLC, your business becomes a separate entity. So if someone tries to sue your business, they can only go after what your business has. If you are a sole proprietor, and like Kate was saying, if somebody sues you, something goes wrong, I mean, they can take your house. <laughs> so I, it, I was a sole prop for years, and it just sort of hit me one day. I'm like, huh. I should probably not be that anymore and i should get the llc in place and i know it sounds kind of scary talk to your bookkeeper talk to your cpa it's pretty okay to file it yourself do it online it's not as scary as it might sound so don't let the the legality kind of freak you out and if you have questions talk to somebody that knows their stuff it's it's worth setting up if nothing else for the peace of mind knowing that your house, your family, your savings, all of that stuff is protected from business stuff. All right. Those are awesome questions. I'm so excited to be talking about these things because these are real topics that are bugging you guys as business owners. And, you know, I love hearing all these ideas on insurance and scheduling and just kind of, you know, making yourself the, the best business owner Possible and staying creative and inspired. So, thank you guys as always. Thank you, Melissa, Angela, Christy, and Stevie, for your awesome questions. Thank you. Yeah, you guys are the best. We wouldn't have QA episodes without cues. So, keep sending them. You guys can DM us on Instagram at Designers Getting Coffee. You can also email us hello at coffee.com Please send them in. We would love to be able to help you with specific issues you have. And just know that even if your question feels too niche, too specific, too unique to you, I guarantee you there are other listeners who are feeling the same thing, who are struggling with the same thing. So we would love to be able to help you guys out. Any final thoughts there, KB, before we go finish up our coffee and move on with our day?
1: Oh, I definitely think I need some more coffee before I have any more (laughs) serious brain farts. Okay, no, that's great. You guys, thank you so much. And if you like today's podcast, be sure to go to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a rating and review so that we can continue to bring more episodes to you. All right, later. Bye.
0: Hey, designer, thanks for sharing part of your day with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to connect with badass design bosses like you. We love to hear your feedback.
1: For more Designers Getting Coffee and to join the conversation, head over to designersgettingcoffee.com for show notes, free downloads, and more. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at designersgettingcoffee.